Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. My name is Steve and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello there, Steve. Our two guests for this episode are Kiana Allerid and Nick White from Tilly and the Wall. The release of a recent career retrospective of the band, which included their earliest recordings, was all the excuse we needed to see if we could get them on the podcast. And thankfully, they agreed. And Ben, this was, not surprisingly, a joyful conversation. It was joyous from start to finish, wasn't it? I think it very much kind of mirrored our experience of seeing Tilly in the Wall over a number of times. And in fact, listening to them, it kind of, it kind of their attitude very much summed up how the band presented themselves i think yeah yeah those those gigs were they were always and i think we talk about it a little bit in the episode but they were always just you just go with it don't you there's so much energy and uh like the best kind of pop music um uh with a tap dancer well, that's the tap dancer thing that kind of kind of seals the deal, isn't it? It and is. What a what what a unique perspective on that. And I must imagine, you know, being the sound engineer and the band turns up and they've got a tap dancer. That's going to be a bit of a challenge, isn't it? <laughs> that's great. It's great. Um, yeah, there's there's a there's loads of stuff to enjoy in this episode, but I particularly liked. Um, I think when when we were when we were considering what we were going to talk about the Omaha scene and that. Uh, the bands that came out at that time um, before uh, sort of around Bright Eyes and Mike Mogus's studio and and Team Love and everything that came after it. That was some of the stuff that we wanted to hear about. But I think we got to hear some really good, really good stuff about that. Oh, it came out. There were spade loads of it, wasn't there? You know, if, if, if it was Kiana kind of kicking it off and talking about a tight knit community, starting with a kind of sort of skaters and outsiders and then sort of, her how her kind of story and Nick's story intertwined from two different places coalescing in 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 Omaha and that and I think uh, there was a point where um Kiana said in in the sweetest possible way we were the the center of our own universe and uh, and she also also that kind of reflection on that when you're in amongst a scene as it's kind of coming together you don't really you don't really appreciate it because you are you are it you are the sort of center of it the focus of it and it's only with a kind of bit of distance and a bit of perspective that you can see how amazing something is Mm. yeah and it took them a long way you know from from really rudimentary diy beginnings of just you know recording stuff on you know crappy cassettes or or whatever you know going and sitting in record stores where there's a piano in the doorway and working on <laughs> working on tunes and these really brilliant kind of low key um early days through to you know some amazing experiences through their music and going you know around the world with it yeah so it's a brilliant kind of perspective on a journey from the kind of from local to global isn't it it kind of sums all of that up and it encapsulates so much of what we've covered before in terms of people um having that kind of diy attitude to just go out and do it themselves and kiana kiana described herself as someone with extreme self-confidence you know in an ability that i can do this and they just kind of picked it up and went went with it and they had that you know community of close-knit friends Mm. that bonded around that um, and took it forward with them Mm. it's totally brilliant really like really inspiring story i think 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I think no, no better uh, exemplified than the the story of them being invited to go on Letterman, and just packing a bag and flying in and doing it and bus to the studio, TV studio, <laughs> oh, yeah. and then just essentially just straight on and off again. And <laughs> and I love having heard the, that story, going and watching the clip of uh, of them actually doing it. With with that same enthusiasm, there's a there's a link in the show notes. But I I loved hearing that story. Yeah, it was it was very unique. And like you said, like watching it afterwards, and then with that story in your head, you know about how they, you know, what was presented to them, and they're just taking the bull by the horns, and you know, in their typical attitude, just going for it, you know, yeah. straight on there. Yeah, bless them, brilliant. And you kind of got a sense towards the end that, that it might not be like completely over that there may there may well be more to come at some point from them well that would be a nice thing wouldn't it i don't know i mean it's not you know to have this um to have it's not they didn't describe it as a best of did they but you know um to have sort of a collection of their music come together and maybe they've been a band that have been vastly under underappreciated over the years and stuff um so to have an opportunity for to kind of look at their kind of the music they've made over their career again is great and the, the prospect of them coming back and doing something else um i loved um nick talking about the the importance of how narrative kind of informed the band and how they kind of pushed that to the front of their songs and i was looking at the lyrics off that first album again um which you you know you kind of referenced and they're so strong so strong aren't they mm. yeah yeah absolutely definitely worth checking out um it's worth making a little point about the edit here we did have some technical um fuck uppery in the uh the wi-fi wifi was not our friend um on either side of uh the the, uh, uh the divide so there is a little bit of a frankenstein edit and um if anyone can listen to this and guess the exact number of edits that there are uh, in this. They, they win a prize. <laughs> yes, they win a prize. <laughs> uh, ben, I have a question for you. Do you, by any chance, own a, uh, a Ford Mark I console? I wish I did, but unfortunately Do I don't. You don't. Uh, <laughs> what, about, what about a Mark I Zephyr? Uh, I really wish I had one of those, but I yeah. don't. You don't, and you don't, I'm guessing, you don't own a Mark I Zodiac. I, I don't. No. Well, that's a shame, because if you did, you could go to fivestars.co.uk, which is the home of the Mark I console, Zephyr and Zodiac <laughs> Owners Club. <laughs> it's true. Fivestars.co.uk. But don't despair. You can join our five-star club by driving over to Apple HQ and leaving <laughs> us a five-star review. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> And on that wonderful note, let's go over to our conversation with Kiana and Nick from Tilly and the Wall on episode 36 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. It's my tap shoes. <laughs> my tiny tap shoes. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kiana. Hi. And I'm Nick, and we're from Tilly and the Wall, um, and we're going to be playing the demo of our song, All Kinds of Guns, from uh, the album Heavy Mood. 
cool well thank you both for being here um we've had a really nice conversation already, yeah, already. i wish we'd recorded it <laughs> <laughs> um uh no but thank you for being here and thanks for sharing the demo can you share a bit about the origin of the song and where it sits in the band's catalog um so this was for our last album is that right nick the okay so as far as our catalog it's definitely on on the later spectrum which you know is saying a lot for a band who like when we started nick was sitting on the floor <laughs> playing a keyboard <laughs> And now, you know, Nick's playing with Phoebe Bridgers. So we've we've come a little ways here as a, as a band and as songwriters. And um, so one interesting thing is that the guitar that I wrote that song on, it's an electric guitar. It's a, um, it's a Strat, right? I am not a guitar player and um, I don't really know how to play. But I, I like the first time we ever got like any money as a paycheck, I bought that guitar and I bought an amp and I started playing kind of just like smallly smallly <laughs> because I lived in an apartment so I had had to play real little you know um but I wrote a lot of our songs like the ones that I that I wrote or that I started on that guitar and I just got that guitar today I just wow, got it back wow. I haven't had it in years and I just wow. got it today and I like plugged it in it's all clean and beautiful and I was like <gasps> It sounds so good. So that's just kind of interesting thing. But um, yeah, I had started writing on guitar and it changed kind of the kind of songs I was able to come up with. So I think it's kind of cool because this one definitely has like a throwback kind of 60s girl band vibe. And, and that was really, really that's exactly what you said, Ben, when you when you heard the demo. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it yeah. had that, girl, that band 60s vibe, yeah. girl vibe to it. Yeah. That's so cool. And I didn't really have that too much as a reference. Like, that's not what I was trying to do, really. But I think, you know, Nick, you know, the bands like Hunks and his Punks and kind of like Shannon and the Clams and that whole like kind of resurgence. I feel like that's just like a natural like come around as far as people who are just doing punk music, because like music can only go so far as one thing. And then that thing doesn't really sound that punk anymore because like everybody's kind of doing it or it sounds mainstream or something. And I think just kind of naturally, there was just a bunch of people doing music like that. And it just felt like a really free way to be like, what? Okay. You know? <laughs> and you're a, you're a rock and roller at heart, you know? Like, I feel yeah, like a lot of, a, totally. a lot of the songs that, uh, that you write, I hear like, there's often like one, like either guitar melody or like, just some vocal melody that hits you right in those mm -hmm. like rock feels, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I loved totally. the combination of that with like, we, I remember when we were going in, we made Mogus a mix CD of completely different sounding songs. Mm -hmm. And we we're like, let's make the record like these 12 completely <laughs> different songs. But there was one, like, I forget if it was like a Ronettes or Shangri-Las or, you know, it's like there was mm -hmm. one yeah. song and then maybe some like, um, I'd like Runaways or like Ramones or, you know, it's like yeah. s some, somehow For everybody sure. managed to like hop on this, this train. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it worked, but yeah. And I think that's cool because all five of us have different backgrounds that we do tend to pull from like I feel like Jamie as a writer was always and will always be like pulling from that like early K records like right before Riot Girls took off but like 90s you know 
Um, and then Derek, I don't know, how would you even explain Derek? <laughs> like sensitive later 90s stuff. Yeah. Like REM a little bit. And then that's then that kind of you two, not you two, the band, but you and Derek, <laughs> like have that kind of crossover, you know, from like that Athens vibe to like. The Athens vibe. I don't know. We were both really into Sarah Records mm -hmm. and like, yeah. like lots of things from that sound kind of palette. Yeah, it's just interesting, like when you throw, and then me, I like was in a hardcore band, uh, like literally, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm like listening to stuff way crazy. I've like recently revisited some of that stuff, and I was like, wow, very, very loud. And, uh, <laughs> the music from your hardcore band. Yeah, like, yeah, I found a tape. Did you know, Nick, I recorded my first hardcore band's tape? at AJ and Mike's house Wait, in their basement what? before they had pressed. Wait, are you, are you about to play yes. us a little sample? <laughs> no, good grief. This is a follow-up no. episode. <laughs> okay, first of all, yeah, this is a demo. But this is a tape. Like, I can't even play it. I had to play it on this weird contraption that I found. But but no, we recorded that in with Mike and AJ in their basement in their house in Lincoln before Presto was even a glimmer in their so mind. So this is a, a long relationship. Like, yeah, I was like 17 maybe. And like, I remember Mogus on the table, like the um, kitchen table, just like pouring over those like super thick, um, like audio file, like audio head, like books, like not even books, but like magazines or manuals, basically, it looked like just constantly, they're just like reading and learning about stuff. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, so crazy. Do you remember how you felt going in, going in for that, that session? Do you remember how what? How you felt going in for that session to, to record? I felt that. great. I mean, AJ was a little more on like the the rock side, so he, I'm pretty sure AJ actually engineered it. But yeah, I was stoked. Like he was he was really into the songs. I was like, what? And I, when I re-listened to the songs, I mean, they're terrible, like in their own way. But they're also not. I was like, hmm, like these kind of have something going, you know, for them. But uh. They, like one was called Speed Slut. So. <laughs> of course it is. Oh. I have no idea why. Like I, I literally, I think I named it that because I was playing so fast. But I mean, it wasn't me. I was referring to me. And then I was like, oh my gosh, the drug connotations. Like I didn't even think about that. Being in Tilly in the Wall, then how did you how did you make that transition? Well, so just like getting into the hardcore bin in the first place was like. I just have this like extreme self-confidence. It's like, you would think it's like, oh, I'd like a little bit of that, but it's like not. It's something that you have to work on actually like reeling back in. So, you know, in gym class in high school, I heard some guys talking about being in a band. I was like, oh, I can play the bass. They're like, sweet. Cause I thought they were cute or something. And then I went home and I'm like, dad, uh, I need a bass. I need, I think cables is what they use. Like, I think I need a bass amp. Like I had no idea. So I joined this band and I'm like, kind of good you know and I like get home and I'm playing with like Green Day and Nirvana and all these albums and I'm really enjoying it so I kept going similarly my friends and I in Omaha is like a pretty tight-knit community when it comes to like the music crew and um, music crew like skateboarding guys like kind of all of those like what do you call it like the outsider people very tight-knit um, and I was like hanging out with all the skater kids but that included people from bands like The Faint. 
So I knew the guys from the fan from skateboarding. So I'd hang out with them and end up meeting all these other people, you know, and we all went to karaoke. And again, I overheard a bunch of girls saying, I wanted to start a band, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty soon I was in a band with Jamie and Jen Bernard and Nat Bowen and Jeremy Stanishek. And, and that was Magic um, Kiss, right? Yeah, that band was called Magic Kiss, which is so weird. That band name was based off of uh, Wesley Willis. You remember him? Oh, yeah. And he yeah, just yeah. like popped into my head like yesterday. And I was like, I mean, remember Wesley Willis? He was so fun. But anyway, Jamie exploded that band as she sometimes would do. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Jamie and I kept playing together. And actually a couple of those songs were Tilly's first song. And Jamie had, um, she just had such a strong will, you know, and that's what I mean about her. Like if she was like done with the band, that band was just done. Like it didn't matter. Like we were all like, bah, bah. <laughs> And so, <laughs> so we, we kept playing together and then she ended up meeting Nick and Derek on a Bright Eyes tour, I think. And then Nick and Derek moved to Omaha and then she started hanging out with them. It's like, you guys got to meet these weirdos. And we, were like, we love them. <laughs> and then we were a band. That's fantastic. Nick, do you have a similar, similar journey into uh, music? Making? You know, I always like, it, it was a real, a real process for me because I, you know, uh, had like music lessons when I was a child, which I didn't spend much time thinking about when I was really little was whatever, just like a, a, a weekly occurrence. And then at some point, you know, like around age 10, I like found the, the, the courage to tell my parents that I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, <laughs> and, and my mom said, well, you can either play uh, violin or keep playing piano and i was like okay i'll keep playing piano <laughs> <laughs> good choice <laughs> um, and then you know it's like lo and behold you go through puberty and like things start to resonate in different ways and mm. i had reached a point with my piano teacher where he was very open to me bringing in songs that i liked and us like figuring out how i would play them um and something just like totally clicked um so then like you know like in high school um i got a four track i had met derek and he would come over and we would like just mess around with it um and my dad bought me a version of that program cakewalk i don't even i don't remember yeah. very much about it except like we were just like just messing around with a bunch of stuff and we we decided to make our our, our band called the dead bird um and <laughs> um they were good. They're, we were funny. I'll say that. Um, but yeah, and then we moved. We moved to Omaha, not with a very um, clear vision, except that like all the people we had met from there were very nice and very cool, and um, it just seemed like it it was it was percolating in like a very fun way. Like people were making great music. People were like pushing some boundaries in ways that I found exciting. And that was also happening weirdly, like where you were from, like not just Dunwoody, but like Athens and um, it just felt like these two worlds like were colliding. And I didn't realize that until kind of you can look at it from a bigger like perspective later on. But like if you could count how many people came from yeah. Georgia and like the surrounding area to Omaha and like how many people like wound up getting married and like forming bands together and all this stuff is just the weirdest like 
anomaly. You could you could never like predict something like that. But like Nick and Derek went to high school with like the Black Lips and like a you know the same kind of like explosive weird friend group that just blows up into like a bunch of different bands. So I felt right. I think when you guys came and then people just yeah, kept people coming. just kept coming. <laughs> <laughs> It feels like a real, uh, it feels really fortunate, doesn't it? If you find yourself at the kind of epicenter of a scene happening, because, yeah. because towns can go through periods and cities can go through periods where those things don't take place. We spoke to, um, uh, Vanessa from Pylon a, a while back and, and Jason Neesmith, um, as well. Uh, uh and he talked about mm-hmm. Athens in a, yeah. in a similar mm-hmm. way. And actually, um, uh, and also we spoke to Bruce Russell from, uh, the Dead Sea, who's from Dunedin in New Zealand, and talked about being in the middle of a scene happening and starting to expand, and then what that meant for the area. And and I guess from the outside looking in at what happened around Omaha and um, and the and the number of bands that that kind of sprung up and and you know that we're aware of here mm-hmm. in North Wales. Seriously, you know, it's crazy. It's, yeah, it's crazy. It's hard to tell when it's happening. What was it like on the? inside looking out as that happened yeah it's totally weird it's like you don't realize it until um until you have some sort of other perspective it's just that's just your home I mean I'm speaking for myself I guess from Omaha as a teenager way before I met Nick like as kids we were going to this place called the Cog Factory which was a like there's actually a documentary about that now out on YouTube because um it was just such a epicenter for kids to go and feel like they belonged somewhere and they were for the weird the weird kids and the young kids it was always all ages um it was a piece of crap like you're talking a fire hazard like it was because we ran it like our friends ran this place you know but um it became like pretty well known and again in hindsight like people a lot of people really loved it and like traveled so we had tons of touring bands coming through I mean, we just like, I talk to my friends now from different cities growing up about like bands that they saw growing up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I saw them like four times. They came through Omaha every year. They're like, we never saw them once. And they were in a bigger city nearby. But you know what I'm saying? Like Omaha somehow like, grew this like epicenter and it just, it just kept it. So I, to me, that was just normal. I was like, this is, this must be how all cities are. And they must be even better, you know, but it's like, wow, it's not true. And how, how fortunate that we were to have that, you know? And then like, once, you know, Connor hits the cover of, um, I don't know, spin or something at that point, we're all just like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Cause it comes from a very, like a, a very like friendly place, you know, it's like, to me, like feeling that, that kind of moment, it's like, it's all these people who relate to one another, you know, and that's like, couldn't be more, more special to see like the way that Derek and I ended up moving to Omaha was because initially when we were in high school, like the faint had played similar to the cog factory. It was the Georgia tech venue, I think called under the couch in Atlanta. And on the microphone, they just asked if anyone had um, a place that uh, they could sleep that night. Um, and so I called my parents and was like, is it okay if I have this band sleep over tonight? <laughs> Your are so awesome. And they're like, sure. Yeah. Um, so they came over, you know, and we stayed in the backyard, stayed up chatting and like ended up 
and they're the ni nicest they're the people nicest ever, people you know? and then they passed like my number to some other people from omaha who called me when they came to town and just like started this relationship that ended up being like a huge defining part of my life you know and that's how it happens it's weird it's like that's how it happened probably in other scenes too you know people from philadelphia come here and from there and you just literally grassroots style just get to know people and and be kind to people because then we went on tour and had to ask does anybody have a place for us to stay and <laughs> for years great friends that way <laughs> we're just like hey does anybody have room for like nine strangers that they want to have sleep at their house tonight and sometimes you get a yes and it's kevin costner's house and i will say aspen <laughs> hotels are fairly pricey <laughs> oh, yeah i feel like it was such a like what is wrong with us that we just were like on for the ride and it didn't seem strange or anything you know what i mean it was like at that point i like loved like celebrity rags like i like shannon and i read them all the time they were just so funny to us and I was like, oh my gosh, it's the club that Paris Hilton's always at. Like, we have to go. Our friend, our friend's like best friend was DJing. And he's like, no problem. So like we get down there and like skip the velvet ropes. They just like let us, uh, we look like a bunch of trash. We're just like, <laughs> just like com comparatively, we just look like crazy. And they let us all in and we're like, yeah. And like we get in there and literally walk in and it's like, Billy, what's his name? Billy Billy Zane sitting with Meg White from the White Stripes, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, just stars everywhere. And we're like, man, this place is boring. <laughs> and we just start like, we just like start requesting songs. And we're like dancing. Darcy's like upside down on a couch, I remember. <laughs> like, just, we did not care at all. Like who was where or what. I don't know what it was with us, but we were just like, in like a, in like the sweetest possible way, like we were just like the center of our own universe. And, and like, I think we were, I feel like we were pretty like naive too to how unusual our 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 situation was, you know, because like, um, we were really lucky with how everything unfolded. And in my head, at least, I, you know, you 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 imagine that that these types of opportunities are available to um, anyone who like pursues that um in a serious way which is obviously not the case but you know at the time we we're just no. rolling with it and it's like you know we film one video with a friend and then that leads to like like getting to play like one festival in the uk and then you know it's like they it it builds like quickly but in like little steps um and mm. and we really didn't have much time to 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 think about how crazy it was that we were moving in that way and it must have been like like obviously we had extremely good fortune to have been around that scene while it was like percolating and connor was just about to pop into the stratosphere and the faint was just doing the same thing and cursive was doing the same thing and all these different levels but you can't just say it's like well we we went with bright eyes and then it all worked out from there it's like there was something we were doing that i think people were really like i feel like in some way we were letting our weirdness like like i said at that club like we were letting our weirdness be so out there and like we were so much like we do not care what you think about it this is what we are this is who we are you take it or you leave it like we don't give a fuck we don't care who you are 
And like, I think people just really were like, oh my gosh, like I, I can, I can do that. To be fair, you, uh, you also had some really fantastic music <laughs> to share to people and, and, and Ben and I, we'd, we'd seen Tilly and the Wall play when you came to Amazing. the UK uh, a few times. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, uh, a particularly brilliant show at the Lumiere. Oh my gosh. Uh, which was, re- I mean, it was always really joyous. Your shows mm-hmm. were always so joyful and, uh, and that, uh, that kind of sp- the spirit that you were just talking about there amongst the, the, your, your kind of cohort, mm-hmm. you know, when you're just out being yourselves uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's in your performance mm-hmm. as well, isn't it? That, that, that freedom. Yeah. So de- touring, thinking, thinking about touring a little bit more because you toured a lot, didn't you? And uh, you know, and, and all over the place and, and that's not uh, well, from my own experience and Ben's experience. Um, it's not always straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> so like Nick it's funny because in the beginning we were touring with like the same bands over and over like building these really great yeah. relationships I was just thinking about how different it was then near the end we were touring overseas like four times yeah. a year sometimes I was just crazy yeah and we would mostly we would mostly go to the UK I feel like that was like um you know we worked really closely with our um label in the UK and um it just worked out that it, it made sense for us to come for a couple of weeks like three four times every year um so that was really nice to be able to settle in you know like somewhere else and and feel like it was another another like home that on was, tour yeah those were <laughs> some of my favorite memories are being over in the UK just because like you said is that, is that inside my house um because like you felt like we were at home we we went places so many times that you just felt like you know you knew how to get around it's always really nice you know and i don't know just the people over in the uk were just so so awesome and i just and you could blend in because you sure. can <laughs> ah, that's funny <laughs> no, there was... was one time i remember in um it was like Brighton, maybe we, we were out somewhere and um, it was like before the show and these kids like ran up to us and they're like, you know, are you guys from Tilly in the Wall? And we were like, yeah. And he was like, oh my gosh, we love you guys. And this, we're like amazed that anybody's heard of us, you know, and we're like, that's so rad. And he was like, oh my gosh, she said rad. <laughs> 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 I remember that. But I mean, there's so many memories. It's hard to even like. There's so many, and I I feel like you really Maybe. settle into the to the day jobby aspect of of touring after a little while. Like it doesn't take long. The rhythm just totally clicks. You know, mm-hmm. like it can be tiring, but it makes sense that this is just what you do every day. You get up and scrape something to eat together and get in the van. You know, um, and and at the beginning, like like we were lucky that things moved enough that we could like graduate slowly because we at the beginning were very thrifty i'll say um and so we would get for the five of us we would get one hotel room with two beds so neely and kiana and i would share one bed (laughs) 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 jamie and derek would share the other bed because jamie and derek were married by the way so it's like we just I feel like we came up with some other rhythm. I don't know. It was ridiculous. But but yeah, either way, however we rotated the beds, it it was a squeeze, you know, and like 
like we had fun but no one was well rested and so it's like and (laughs) even if we're graduating to like two beds in a cot you know that's huge in your day-to-day well-being it makes like touring that much more fun and gives you the stamina to keep going and that's even like after we like literally just crashed with whoever we could like on cat hair like (laughs) on cat hair do you you know what i'm talking about (laughs) there was like a carpet that we thought was carpet which turned out was probably (laughs) 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 there were just a lot of really gross places and you know I mean, we were so thankful to have anywhere to sleep. I mean, like that one time we stayed at that one kid's house and then at like six <laughs> in the morning, at six in the morning, you just hear this girl go, yeah! we like, like asleep, you know? So there's lots of, lots of stories about that. We never graduated to too much, uh, too much comfort, but when we went to um, UK, all that stuff was taken care of for us. So that was nice. Yeah. But then going to places like Japan and, you know, uh, you were talking before, mm-hmm. I think before we came on the call about, you know, touring in Japan and uh, just the opportunity to go places like that off the back of the music that you're Gosh, making so is cool. uh, it's a real yeah, privilege. It's unbelievable. But like Iceland, it's to this day, like I can still like, I can still like shut anybody else's game down by just being like, I've been to Iceland and you haven't. So, <laughs> and I got a $20 street hot dog while I was at it. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so expensive. Gosh. But I do think that that summer Sonic festival we played in Japan is definitely one of my, Oh my gosh. Memories. Favorite memories. And just seeing like, you know, it, 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 it was such a crazy diverse lineup and like Cindy Lauper played and like, just you know it, it it it's hard sometimes to live in those moments when they're so out of the ordinary but I know. but it's something i can yeah. revisit and reprocess all the time you know oh my gosh like retelling mm. that story did you know that neely recently found on youtube a video of cindy lopper's song girls just want to have fun and you can see us on stage no yeah <laughs> she sent it to me it's really hard to make out but i remember what i was wearing and it wasn't very muted. <laughs> so I can like pick myself <laughs> out. <laughs> and I know what Neely was wearing. It's like bright yellow and what Jamie was wearing. And you sang. Yeah, so. Right? Yeah, we all sang on Cindy Lopper. And like that song was in like the Trolls movie or something. And my daughter was like, I got to tell her that. And she was like, what? You know? <laughs> Very cool. And then it was weird because I I read a um, an interview with Connor recently, where he's talking about that show. Did oh, you really? Play with them? Did you play with them? No. No. Okay. So Bright Eyes played that same stage after us, or I think they played after us, and then Cindy Lauper played after them. But he said it was the worst show of his career that they left. I don't remember any of this happening. They left Japan. They like got on a plane and went home they canceled the rest of their tour and he was sitting there looking all depressed and she was like connor getting old sucks you know she just (laughs) that's like all she had for him he was like yeah yeah well communion with cindy lopper like things could be worse yeah that's great also so we had during that like chunk it was so crazy because we got to go to iceland like i just mentioned right so we go to Iceland, we got offered, we're on tour, by the way, in America, like a six-week major tour. 
we're gonna go do Iceland Airways because it's so rad. So we like fly to Iceland, but like two days before we got offered Letterman because somebody had gotten pulled from the show. So they just had this opening. So props to our like PR people for that um, big time. They like filled us in that spot. So in the hotel, like in Iceland, we had to come, we had to change our songs. We had to cut the time. We had to change our song. We had to like completely switch up like the timing and like the bridge and all this stuff in our hotel, never really do it live and then just wing it on national TV, you know? So we were like, oh my gosh, like we still have to play like five shows at Iceland Airwaves. We're there for like two and a half days. We land and have to go to David Letterman. Like it was just, there was no downtime whatsoever. I don't even know if we slept or not, but like, yeah. So it was just this crazy, like, I don't even know how you could remember that because it was just such a a whirlwind. I do remember though, we got there and we got to go to like a nice little like green room. And then basically, I think we, we saw some hair and makeup people who like let us choose what we wanted to wear, but like kind of gave us their advice and maybe like powdered our faces. I don't remember. And then we were just being ushered onto the stage and we were there in the wings and it was like, there was no like, like meeting, getting comfortable, like going on the stage, nothing. We were just in the wings suddenly. No, like this is not like a, um, like a practice run. Like you were just, you're on. It's like insane. Yeah. And they're no rehearsal. No. Straight, Straight on. on. Their Straight poor sound on. person has to mix <laughs> the oddest, like keyboard, guitar, taps, vocal, vocal, vocal. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they had some kind of writer, like technical writer. I assume that they knew it was coming. But afterward, it was just funny because, I mean, again, we go on stage just screaming, wake your mothers up. Is that what we're saying? Oh, was that for that? I think, I think so. Are you, do you, are you, are you... You prefer that you did it that way, that the experience was that way around rather than having, you know, sitting around and waiting and, and getting kind of, because it's a big deal, isn't it? For, especially for, you know, an American mm-hmm. band going on, on Letterman. You, that it was better to just do it yeah. that way and not have time to worry I think about so. It. Like you don't want downtime to think about things that are high profile, you know? No. It's like better just to, if you're already in the swing, especially on tour, and it's like, you know, you can do it. All you're going to do is psych yourself out, so. And the and the fact that we had had to edit the song in that way too is like let's just do it like we can't like I think there's like a pendulum swing where like you haven't practiced it very much but you know what you're doing and then there's like you've thought about it too much and you're gonna mess it up like just throw us out there and do it and it was really awesome because what you know because Letterman isn't on anymore and it was such a staple you know um, yeah but yeah it was rad. what would you how would you describe what's most important for you both would that you would take from the experience of being in Tilly and the Wall? I think that like, you can't really fake it. Like you just, you know, like, I, well, one thing is you don't have to be good at anything to be, <laughs> to like, <laughs> you don't have to be good at it. Like for us, we just, you know, I mean, Nick was always, Nick is always the exception. He's like the classically trained pianist but <laughs> besides no. him we were like banging on trash cans like <laughs> something that i necessarily <laughs> wouldn't do on my own you know but then to have that backing of like your friends and like peers and like just be like yes this is what we've decided to do we're gonna do we're gonna go out there like maybe make fools of ourselves but maybe like make some people smile too i do think like 
And, you know, when Tilly was getting going, it was pretty unhip to talk about love and feelings kind of things, yeah. you know, especially yeah. in like, I mean, not that in like a, you know, an indie or rock kind of context, it's like the, what I guess what we call like the emo movement was still like coming together and people like, I feel like it was something that was happening all over the place at the same time where everyone was like, you know, it's actually cathartic and helpful for us to be very explicit about our feelings, about our desires, about what uh, is bothering us. And um, that is something that same, like with the community, it's like when you can have this backing. Yeah, that's that's the crucial thing, isn't it? You, you, that, you're, that you're there for each other and you're backing each other up. You, you do have each other's backs. But you, you're talking about it not being uh necessarily hip to be singing about uh your feelings and and, and love and stuff but that, those uh, the fir first couple of well, certainly the first tilly in the wall record that um those ideas about um an awareness of and celebrating of being young and the energy of youth and the positive energy of youth and ideas and uh, uh, uh that kind of is effuses that first record i think it, it's more than just singing about feelings it's about actually this is a really great place for us to be right now and, and a celebration of those those ideas it's actually i think it's quite tough to realize that in the music in the same way that you do you know in, in performance how difficult was it were you just not conscious of that you just did it or was there a real sort of conscious effort to sort of make sure you captured that vibe of the band and lifestyle we were so about making a fun show for sure like we were like get balloons get this get that but like it wasn't because we wanted to create a fun show it was because we wanted to do what we wanted what we did do you know what i mean like so it's kind of both where that's just who we are and like that's what we wanted to do yeah and we would sit like there was a bookstore uh, what was the oh the antiquarium um and they had um, like an organ, like near the entrance. And sometimes Derek would just bring his guitar and we would sit there and work out. I remember we worked out that little um, keyboard part at the beginning of the first song on Wildlife Children fell down the stairs. And we just sat there until it kind of clicked, you know, and so much of that era relied upon like the narratives in the stories, you know, it's like they were storytelling, which then informed the musical part and like I don't think that we were particularly conscious of it but it but it did and Derek had always been really obsessed with like like weaving together the stories of both he comes from a large family has nine siblings um and also the people that we went to high school with and the people we met in Omaha and like like taking all these narratives and really highlighting the things that he saw that other people didn't you know um and and to me that was like such a, a part of the the youthful sound and he had such a stronger like hand in the songwriting in the beginning too. So like a lot of that, that you talk about, about like the youth and everything. I, it's so interesting because like we were really young and, but also like a lot of that has to do, I feel like with like stuff that like you were saying, he's seeing going on with like his sister, like his younger sister going through things or like, you know, the loss of your guy's friend, Ben, at a really, really young age and like how that, like made us just be like fuck it like let's just go crazy like we're only here for a minute like just but i think it's so cool that that first album i mean 
the rest of us wrote songs for that too, but it does have a pretty strong like Derek vibe. And, and it's so cool knowing you guys sat there and did that. I didn't know you guys, I'd, the Antiquarium is this record store and bookstore that is not, no longer there, which is crazy, but it's like where I would go like before I knew anybody to buy like Connor's first tape, like when he was like 13 or something. And the guy that ran that place, like that's where I'd buy all my like records. And, and if you bought like a record that was cool enough and Dave was like, cool, you'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> seal of approval. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm cool. Dave thinks I'm cool. I picked the halo benders or like, <laughs> you know, it's so it's so fun that's where i bought all all of my first albums you know like every everything it's where you got that so it's cool thinking about you guys sitting there because that's like a later version of the antiquarium but man i wish i was still there yeah me too i wish Dave was still there but he's he's passed as well those record shops like that are so important especially in in small towns there was mm-hmm. the, the town i grew up in in, in lowestoft which is right is the most easterly town in uh mm. england Wow. in the uk and there was a a, 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 a a an electrical shop that had downstairs it was just washing machines and irons and stuff and the upstairs was the record department um, uh, but they still had uh the listening booths that they had when they cool. first opened so you could just get a record and go and sit in there and and listen to it on the headphones before you bought it <laughs> and just hours and hours and yeah. hours sitting in there making friends with with lana and mm-hmm. uh her friend Rachel, who ran it, and just put you know pulling things out and stick it. Can we can we go and listen to this? Can we go and listen? And they just let you sit that's in there so and listen cool. to it. Everybody ha- like that's just the best. Everybody deserves those, but they don't have them. You know, those 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 tastemakers, those people are so important. It was especially when you're thinking this is I don't know, we're 20 years ago, and we're thinking about a different time, aren't we? You're reliant upon someone because you can't source that stuff any everywhere like you can mm-hmm. now. You could go and. Hunt, hunt down whatever no. you want but at that time someone has to put it no. on the plate for you and hand it to you and the... it's so true yeah it's so true and it's like oh go ahead nick i was just gonna say it it it, it was so special to me especially i think because i had moved to omaha you know i was 19 and derek and i moved at the same time and we knew maybe four people in town you know it was like not not much to go on and granted everyone was incredible and welcoming but um you know having that 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 artistic space that was so um incredible is just irreplaceable it was awesome loved it it was just so so cool just being in there i can like feel what it felt like to be in there right now like just to go down into that basement like space it's so nice hearing you guys talk uh, sharing your memories of your time time in the band there's there is still so much joy around your stories and the, and your memories of of uh your experiences with tilly in the wall um i i kind of almost don't want to ask the question about how it came to an end but uh could you just say a little bit about how it came how you decided to come we to definitely end? always say like there's no real end to it i mean we were like a family first like it's not like you're ever gonna say like it's the family's done you know <laughs> um but I would say like we toured ourselves into like like pneumonia basically for like Jamie was catching pneumonia every time she would tour. She's a little bit like I don't want to say sickly, <laughs> like sound like bad, but she was just like very, very straight vegetarian, not getting the most health 
the meals and, you know, sleep was always an issue. Um, so I think we just kind of like toured ourselves into like bad health for a while there. And it just, we were like, we got to chill out. And then, um, and then everybody sort of moved and the, everybody was placed every corner of the country. And so everything became harder. We released that last album toured a bit, but at the same time, you know, families are being started and, and things like that. For so, sure. Yeah. Cause everyone there, there were, you know, there was no, like, there was no blowout. There was no slam the door. Um, if anything, it was more of like a, a uh, like, wait, wait, did we break up? <laughs> One of the things that brought us to this conversation was the release of the, uh, you know, the best of um, album. So what was that process like bringing that together, choosing the tracks that would go onto that record? Mm. That was fun. Yeah, that was really interesting because at first I think we pictured like a, a shorter um because the focus was meant to be initially the um, older songs that we hadn't released um, officially. Um, but then as it was going on, you know, it's like, well, if we do like a little best of, that's like a nice thing to have, you know, like as an intro to the band now that it's not active, like for people to um, to get to know the band a little quicker kind of thing. Um, and so it moved from which I was so happy about, but from being a best of to being more of an introduction to, you know? Um, and so we spent, I mean, it was, the whole process was fairly quick once we decided to do it. I think we came up with a, a, a track listing and order in like a week and a half or something. And yeah, everybody kind of made up a, like a track list and then everybody listened through them and just whichever one seemed to have all the right songs in the right order yeah and nate had come to us with this, with this idea of uh, pressing tapes and um everything just you know is like we're saying how everyone's always down to do something but the timing is tricky and this was the time everything lined up and um and so nate from team love was a big part of why this happened um our record label in new york um and and everyone just you know like we spent like a couple times on the telephone a couple emails and just got it out there yeah it was done it was fun yeah not surprisingly it's been joyful talking to you uh and so thank you thank you so much can we just finish uh and i, I i'll leave it up to you to decide who wants to do it but just to introduce the song that people are going to hear now please i think i use GarageBand in a way that probably not that many people use it and i figured out ways to loop things and really do different effects that like I hadn't really heard people do. So when I took this demo to Mogus, he was like really stoked on it and wanted to use a lot of my actual recordings from the demo for this track. So it sounds like pretty much this finished track sounds exactly like the demo. Like there's no difference in the structure of the song. There's no difference. And I kind of like the demo, like when I heard it, I was like, oh my gosh, it sounds a little more raw. Yeah. So, yeah, this is the demo for what we used to call baby guns, but which wound up being called all kinds of guns. Thank you both. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
Songs from a Padded Envelope is presented, produced and edited by Steve Swindon and Ben Clay. Music is by state-sponsored Jukebox. Artwork is by Matt Canning. Songs from a Padded Envelope is a Hidden Hive production. (laughs) 